What's up, military millionaires? I'm your host, David Bray, and today we're absent an Alex Felice. God bless him. Uh, unfortunately, he's trying to do this whole like bigger and better thing in Austin. I believe he's currently in the middle of a Hal Elrod podcast, who I interviewed like two hours ago on this podcast, but he's doing it in person with Brandon. So whatever. Uh, we'll do this without him. He he actually, it's kind of funny because he declined the recording last night because he realized the schedule changed and he wasn't going to be able to do it. And I thought that this Alex, our actual guest, declined it and I called him and I was like, oh no, did our podcast get rescheduled? What happened? And he's like, nah man, I'll be there. Wrong Alex. I was like, oh. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Vehicle 1, you're cleared to depart friendly lines. Roger, Vic 1, Oscar Mike. Shoot. So, I'm excited. But today, we're going to talk all things real estate, normal stuff. But the guest today is Alex Schlow, who is a friend of mine. So this is, he's a physician in the Air Force. He's a war member, which is why we're both rocking our fancy shirts, which is cool. Um, he's a uh, rent, short-term rental investor. Recently, and we'll dig into this, uh, I wouldn't say recently, but recently more, uh, assisted living residential stuff, which is really cool and something that we're going to dig in for sure. Uh, also, loving husband and father, which has always been really cool and evident by the conversations that we've had. Uh, we had some pretty cool conversations in uh, Keystone earlier this year about uh, the book Wild at Heart, and just just cool to hear Alex talk about all that, and you know, refreshing to be around people who have their priorities straight in a lot of ways outside of uh, real estate. So, you know, that's that's cool, and that's a lot of fun for me. But uh, that being said, now. He is investing in assisted living facilities, which is rad, by the way. And today, we're going to talk about how he's been able to jump and uh, jump in and take off so quickly with that and everything else he's doing. So without any further me just running my mouth, Alex. What's up, Dave? Man, happy to be here. You know I would never ghost you, so I did appreciate the phone call last night. Also, pretty wild to be on a podcast that uh, how Elrod was on uh, earlier this morning. I do Miracle Morning every morning, and uh, it's been a game changer, so it's pretty wild. Definitely don't feel worthy to be on here, but happy to be here, my friend, and uh, looking forward to our discussion together. Well, uh, yeah, you and I both. Hal, Hal, Hal definitely has uh, had a piece in my my life as well, and uh, I don't know that I deserve to be on this show half the time either, so, you know, ta-da, but no. <clears throat> Lucky for us, uh, nobody, nobody has a say in it, but yeah, you're the boss. It is what it is. <laughs> All right, so we're going to jump right in. We're going to have some fun with this. So we're trying to get to where we ask uh, some more pointed questions right out the gate, rather than just jumping straight into like, tell me your story. And then we just uncover things as we go and kind of mess with new format. So uh, right out the gate, just curious, what are some of the benefits of investing in an assisted living residence compared to other types of real estate investments. Like what are some of the unique opportunities or challenges? What, like why that? Like, I, I don't think in shit, 210 episodes that we've had a single person on the show 
who does assisted living. Yeah, let's go. Let's jump right in. Great question, Dave. Um, yeah, so residential assisted living, that kind of is an umbrella term, or at least I use it as an umbrella term. There's there's a lot of different uh, avenues within residential assisted living. So a lot of times we think about grandma, grandpa, and assisted living home, kind of your big box. Brookdale, for example, is an example of that. Residential assisted living is taking a single family home that's been retrofitted, ADA compliant, and bringing elderly folks into that home. There's also transitional living homes, behavioral living homes, um, a lot of different kind of uh, facets within the umbrella of residential assisted living homes. In terms of elderly care, and we'll talk on about that first, uh, and that's something we're trying to get more into because the potential there is huge. There, uh, there's currently already about a billion, oh, sorry, a billion, that'd be huge, a million bed shortage uh, of residential assisted living homes. And so there's, there's a huge demand for these homes, huge demand for these beds, already about a million. Uh, by 2025, they're expecting that to be about 1.3 million. Uh, we have 10,000 people turning 65 every day, 4,000 turning 85. And 70% of those will need help with their ADLs or activities of daily living. And that's like you're bathing, you're toileting, you're feeding yourself, et cetera. And so that's what these homes uh, are set up for. This isn't a nursing home. This isn't taking care of the patients. I'm, I'm a doctor, but I'm certainly not going in and taking care of any of these patients. Uh, that's in, you know, in these homes are in Phoenix, but that's uh, more of a nursing home perspective. And so it's really those folks that need help with those activities of daily living. That's one avenue of that. And we're really trying to pivot more into that space as well. Another huge need, and, and we're investing in Arizona, is transitional living homes. These are folks who are transitioning in life and uh, typically are either struggling with alcohol use, drug use, and they're in intensive outpatient programs where they're going there daily. They're working with these clinics uh, in order to get sober, in order to learn life skills, in order to get ready to go be a productive member of society, and they need a place to stay. And so these transitional living homes are where they stay typically. And so we have two of those in Arizona. Um, they're they're awesome. The cash flow is incredible it, for assisted living in general. And we're kind of uh, taking it more of a lease-based approach. So there's kind of two different ways you can look at this. One would be owner and operator. So you own the real estate, but you also operate the business. This is pretty, uh, pretty time intensive. And like you said, I'm a family medicine physician in the Air Force. I don't have time to operate an assisted living home. Um, so we're buying the real estate, leasing that out under a commercial lease, typically three to five years. The cash flow in these properties is incredible. You know, for example, these transitional living homes, and rough estimate is they're making about two hundred dollars per resident per day. And these two homes each hold 10 residents. So they're making about two thousand dollars per day, sixty thousand dollars per month on these homes. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. So they're able to pay these lease fees that are way higher than what typical rent would be in the area. The benefits to this is, one, once you do all your due diligence to get an amazing realtor who specializes in assisted living, which we've been lucky to have, you can interview these operators, get these operators in. They're able to pay this high lease fee. These homes, honestly, are cash flowing as well, if not better than our Airbnb properties, and they're about as passive as um, and so that, that's one aspect of it. It's on a commercial lease as well. So we're not responsible for maintenance, utilities, anything really other than the mortgage insurance and taxes. And so it's a pretty passive form of investing. 
Uh, for example, this last deal we closed, you and I talked about it a little bit. We uh, purchased it for five thirty. We're on a three year commercial lease at six thousand two hundred and fifty dollars per month. Uh, that has a three percent annual increase. Plus, once we put in sprinklers, which is required in this uh, locale in Phoenix, we'll be able to raise the rent by five hundred dollars, and that's written into the lease. So we're cash flowing twenty seven hundred a month, not taking into account those increases on this one house in Phoenix. It's a uh, it's an incredible opportunity, and, and we're really excited about it. I keep saying we because Charlie Cameron and I is part of the War Room, uh, and Luke, one of my buddies, is part of the War Room as well. Uh, we've partnered up on these deals and uh, are, are looking to expand in the future. And uh, yeah, yeah. So hopefully that kind of explains a little bit. Feel free to hit me with any questions you have. Man, so so it's. I mean, these are basically straight up triple yeah, net, pretty much, kind of like a double net plus, I guess. Uh, but uh, we are responsible for HVAC and the roof. They do require a home warranty. So um, we provide a home warranty every year, which in theory would cover that HVAC. In theory, would cover the roof. Our homeowner's insurance would. And to be honest, in Arizona, roofs last a long time. So uh, really, the CapEx and maintenance expenses are minimal. Uh, so yeah, it's incredible. And I'd imagine that there's probably some interesting criteria that you have to meet as far as like your homes, right? Like these are probably like four or five, well, three to five bedroom houses, but they're probably all single family, no stairs at the front, like all, you know, certain door frame size, uh, all, you know, I mean, shower has to be a 80, 88, like they, they probably all these weird, not weird, but, but very unique requirements that you have to have. But to be net net twenty seven hundred a month, and it's not going to fluctuate, is pretty rad. It's awesome. You're exactly right. It, it depends on kind of what style of home you're doing. So certainly for your assisted living homes for elderly care, yeah, you, you need to be ADA compliant. That's typically grab bars in the bathrooms, uh, you know, um, a wider door frame so they can fit a wheelchair through ranch level home or an elevator to get you to the second floor. Uh, ramp into the house. So there, there's some stipulations to that. And that's really going to be location dependent, dependent on your state, dependent even on your city, what they require for that. For your transitional living homes, that's typically a single family house. And so we look for homes that are able or licensable as transitional living homes, also as residential assisted living homes for elderly care, just to have those multiple exit plans and opportunities. The transitional market in Arizona is is popping right now, and they're they're cracking down hard on licensability. And so we're only buying licensed homes. We're acquiring our operators to be licensed. There's a lot of folks who are operating these unlicensed homes, and uh, you know they're being shut down. And so that's something to keep in mind going forward. But really, for transitional living, it just needs to be a single family house. We're looking, like I said, ranch level, ideally five bedrooms or more. You typically even for assisted living for elderly care, you want to have about 300 square foot um, or square feet per resident. The more bathrooms and the more bedrooms you have, the more private rooms you can have, which you can charge more. And so from that aspect, you're looking to try and attract that private payer. You're looking to attract that upper middle class or, or upper class uh, daughter or son who's looking to put mom or dad into a home who can pay private pay cost for these homes. And that's really where the cash flow can increase dramatically in these homes as well for assisted living for elderly care. So yeah, a lot of good opportunities uh, going forward. I think we're right on the tip of the iceberg of this real estate asset class 
it's not easy to get into. It takes a lot of work up front and certainly a lot of networking to find operators that will work well for you. But uh, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I, that was going to be kind of some of my other questions. But before we dig a little deeper into all that, uh, how'd, you, how'd you guys get started, right? I know you got the big dome. Let's talk, you know, your, your, your real yeah. estate journey. Yeah, absolutely. So real estate journey, it actually starts back when I was in med school in Richmond, Virginia, and I didn't buy a property at this point in time, but that's when the seed was planted. I, I was always the kid that liked looking at homes, you know, getting the little pamphlets that showed what homes were for sale, et cetera. And I joined the Air Force and I got a $20,000 signing bonus. And my dad, who doesn't have real estate investing experience, said, hey, why don't you take that $20,000 bonus? Why don't you buy a duplex or something like that? Fix it up. This was way before house hacking was sexy, if you will. And like any son does, typically I didn't listen to him. And uh, I went to med school. I rented out an apartment in Richmond. I didn't buy that duplex, but that seed was planted. And so I knew once I graduated med school and was going to head to residency, I was going to keep the uh, real estate investing in mind. And so um, my wife and I, we weren't married at the time. We looked at some homes there in Florida I did residency at Eglin in Destin, Florida, and uh, we bought a home with a physician loan, uh, which is no money down. And honestly, Dave, I, I'm telling you, it's it's as good, if not better than the VA loan. It's no money down. There's no funding fee. Of course, your interest rate's a little bit higher because there's a little bit higher risk. But it, as a physician, it was an incredible way to get started. I bought a house in Florida for $58 uh, out of my pocket. It was amazing. Uh, it was kind of a live-in flip light. Luckily, my wife is incredible and a really good interior designer and stager. And so we kind of worked on renovating the property. It's got like $160,000, $180,000 in equity right now. Cash flow is $800 a month. That was really our start in real estate and uh, just an incredible opportunity. So, you know, any physicians that are listening to this, I mean, the physician loan, if used correctly, is just an incredible opportunity. It is your 30 year fixed uh, mortgage. For a primary residence, I've heard folks that can buy second homes with them. I haven't found a bank that uh, allows you to do that. So if anyone knows of one, let me know. But uh, I've heard that there's whispers of that. But it's an incredible opportunity. That's what got us started. I mean, $58 out of pocket to buy this house was incredible uh, to turn it into $160,000 of equity. And of course, COVID helped that. But uh, in Florida, met Charlie Cameron, who's one of my partners. He's in the war room. Amazing guy. He's been on the podcast uh, just absolutely incredible individual, uh, one of my best friends and, and so grateful for him. Uh, we started dabbling in short-term rentals while I was there. And uh, we were under contract on a couple of deals in Panama City Beach that we ended up backing out on for just silly reasons. And, and we could talk about that later if you want. Uh, but that kind of opened the door for us for short-term rentals. And uh, we ended up buying a home in LAJ, Georgia with another partner that we uh, had a short-term rental out of that was quite successful, but we had just a lot of CapEx stuff that came up with that and um, just tenant issues with it. It was a big home and lots of parties and really very rural area. And so it made it kind of difficult to find good cleaners and good handyman service providers. So we ended up selling that actually to a professional baseball player. And uh, that showed us how forgiving real estate was because we made a great profit on that. Uh, and then we bought the Dome property in Colorado. That's a short-term rental. It's very unique, which I think Airbnb is really pushing right now. VRBO is really pushing right now. Up in the mountains in Blackhawk, Colorado, we self-managed that on our own and 
Um, that's been awesome. It grossed about a hundred thousand dollars the first year and, uh, just cash flows like crazy. And it's been an amazing opportunity. Uh, then we have our primary residence here in Colorado Springs that we house hack the basement and a shameless plug to house hacking. I'm a family medicine physician and I still house hack my house. Uh, so really anybody can do it. It's the most incredible way to get started. And it's really led to us saving a lot of money to make these other investments into assisted living homes. And, and so really there's no excuse not to do it. We ended up digging out a walkout basement to our basement. We rented out on Airbnb in the summer, makes about three to $4,000 a month. We rented out on um, Furnish Finder in the winter, makes about 1500 to $2,000 a month. Our mortgage taxes and insurance are two grand a month. So we're basically living mortgage insurance and tax-free in Colorado Springs. Uh, it's incredible. So that's kind of a bit of our journey. And then, of course, the two assisted living homes that we've already touched on. So Yeah, I absolutely love house hacking. I mean, this is my my third, essentially, the one that I'm standing in right now, right? My office in the basement here is uh, paid for completely by the Airbnb that I'm standing under. So... Yeah, including the high-speed internet and utilities, which is nice. So, you know, good perk. Um, yeah, it's a great strategy. And I always hate when people are like, well, you know, I could have, but now I've... And it's like, well, you still could. Um, I mean, I get it. Like, it's not as easy with family, but it doesn't mean you can't do it. Absolutely. I got a two-year-old son and a wife. It took a little bit of convincing for my wife, but once I let her design the property, paint the you know, mural of the mountains that we have down there in the basement. She was all for it and we love it. I mean, it's been really cool to meet different people from all over the country visiting Colorado Springs and it's been even better to get to save that. Yeah, you just left by a parachute. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you're like, Airbnb yeah, for the- Absolutely. Yeah, tax write-off. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My, my, my conversation is like, uh, the office didn't cost anything <laughs> this month, so it could be worse. Yes, I have a $450,000 house in Springfield, which is, you know, more than double the median home price. And this is like a class A plus neighborhood <laughs> that I totally don't need. But, uh, it's like, it's, this is like, literally my office is the nicest house that I've ever bought as an investor it's like the you know that you you talk about like i always talk about like oh don't buy like the nicest house in the nicest neighborhood because it'll never cash flow yeah the the one that is like not actually an investment is the nicest fanciest thing i've ever bought and we don't even live in it and i'm like yeah i mean our our basement's nicer than our whole house uh, and that's what we ran out. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And same with the dome, same with the dome, you know, and I think you bring up a good point. It was a game changer once I got my wife on board for real estate investing and, and kind of figuring out what did she like about real estate investing was helpful. She really likes the hospitality that goes into short-term rentals. She really likes the design, the photography piece of short-term rentals. And that was a game changer once I got her on board, because then I had that support, you know, had uh, her trust and understanding of like, Hey, he's, he's looking for the next deal, you know? And so I would encourage anyone who's really trying to get into that. Think about how you can get your spouse involved. Maybe it's a different avenue of real estate investing that you don't necessarily want to do, but I'm telling you, it's a game changer. Uh, now she's been really understanding with the assisted livings and she doesn't really want to be too involved with that, but, uh, we're still looking for unique short-term rental deals in the future. And I know, uh, that she would love for those opportunities. 
Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned something in there that I want to unpack just because I'm sure that there are listeners who probably aren't as well versed or, you know, I don't want to insult anyone's intelligence, but walk me through a, the difference between the short term and that, you know, explain the, the medium term furnished finder is still kind of a new concept. Uh, so maybe, I mean, everyone knows short term Airbnb VRBO at this point in time, but maybe the difference between the furnished finder medium term, but more importantly, I'm curious for the audience, what made you decide to do both strategies on the property at different times of the year, as opposed to just one or the other all in or both just kind of throughout the year? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a great question, Dave. Um, yeah, short-term rental, you know, of course that's your Airbnb, VRBO, typically a couple of days stay, sometimes longer, but typically, you know, a few days, weekend, et cetera. Um, we found that in Colorado Springs in the summer, you really crush on Airbnb and VRBO. You do, you know, amazing revenue during that time frame. In the winter, not as much. Colorado Springs, there's not a whole huge winter attraction. We're about two and a half hours away from Breck and Keystone where we hung out a couple months ago. So the ski resorts are pretty far away. There's not a big winter draw. And so we decided, hey, let's pivot to uh, midterm rentals during this time frame. We'll make a little bit less income, but we're guaranteed to get those bookings. And we had some slower months in um, November, and that was really what kind of prompted this. So I put our home on um, Furnish Finder. And Furnish Finder is, I'd say, kind of like the Airbnb of midterm rentals. It's a little more basic. Basically, you list your home and what you offer. And then the potential tenants are reaching out to you to see, hey, would they be a good fit? It's, so it's a little bit more hands-on from the tenant screening perspective. Uh, we still run credit reports, and that can be done through Furnish Finder. We still uh, run you know, criminal background uh, checks and so forth, and that's done through there. But you're typically looking at more of like a 30-day stay or longer for that. And right now, we have a nurse who's, who's written out our basement as a midterm rental. She's been there since January 1st. She checks out April 29th. And so she's paying $17.50 a month. It's way more than we would have made during this time frame as a short-term rental. And so it was a good pivot for us benefits to midterm rental that I've realized we're not having to deal with cleaners coming in and out. We're not having to deal with that constant turnover and wear and tear on the property. So it's been really nice to just have one tenant who's coming in and knowing, hey, she's going to be here for this time frame. We're guaranteed this income. We're not having to respond to Airbnb, VRBO messages. From a time freedom perspective, it's been awesome. I've been kind of contemplating in my mind, hey, should we just do that for the summer too? We're going to make a little bit less money. But from that time freedom perspective and that return on time, it's been awesome to not have to deal with questions from Airbnb or VRBO or can I check in early, all these sorts of things, because we still have them sign a lease for that period of time. And so uh, it's it's been nice. And so I think if you're willing to part with some cash flow, but increase your time, midterm rentals are a great option. If you really hustle for Airbnb, VRBO, short-term rentals, you're going to make more cash flow for sure. You're certainly going to be taking more time to manage that property. And like I said, we've, we've been self-managing these properties as well. And so overall, it's not a huge time commitment, but it's been nice to have that kind of removed while we're working on other projects like the assisted living homes. Yeah. No. Okay. So that makes sense. It's kind of a seasonal thing. And then and there's probably the perk too that like you, you actually... I'd imagine. I mean, it depends on the person, I'm sure, but you you probably get to build kind of a relationship with the, you know, medium term when you're house hacking. Whereas with the short term, 
I mean, maybe, you know, like when I had some short term when I was house hacking sometimes, but also sometimes you get some oddballs, whereas like the medium term, you kind of get to screen them out a little bit. And uh, it's probably kind of fun too, to just get to know some people. Absolutely. Yeah. You can form some good relationships with folks and, and, you know, I mean, we've had discussions as well about crazy short-term rental guests and, you know, even though they might have that uh, five-star rating on Airbnb, we still see some crazy stuff. We had a guest in Georgia who had like a bunch of five-star ratings. The house was a wreck. There was like blood in the sheets and the cleaner found cocaine. And so you just never know what's coming in regardless of what that shows. And Airbnb, it's tricky because the guests can still review you and you can still review them. And so, you know, if you're reaching out to them, you're like, hey, the house is a mess. I'm going to charge you an extra hundred bucks or whatever it may be. You're always worried about, hey, are they going to leave me a bad review? It's going to cost me way more than that hundred bucks I'm charging them in the future by decreased bookings. And so it's this really weird dynamic. Of course, like they can't review you until you review them and vice versa, but it's still kind of this weird gray area that we've seen. And so that's eliminated with the midterm rentals for the most part. I hop on phone calls with them to see, hey, are you going to be a good fit? My two-year-old son lives upstairs and my wife lives upstairs. I want to make sure that you're going to be a good fit for this time frame. And then of course, the background checks and the credit reports are helpful for that as well. Must have a quality cleaner if they were able to, you know, identify. <laughs> what was left Well, I... They, it, you know, miraculously they clean the house in like half the time that time. So uh, who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like, yeah, they left yeah. coke. Really? How much? <laughs> yeah. uh, none, none, none actually. But I cleaned the house. Yeah, we, we poured it down the toilet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's all gone. Also, uh, your carpets are bald because I cleaned them with a scrub. Yeah, in one spot only. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. I've had a, uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, well, I won't publicly say the, some of, some of the stuff there, but yeah, I've had a guest or two where like I had one where I, I came in the house and it was like, you know, like actually the night before the, the cop, my neighbor called the cops because of the noise. And, uh, this was before my neighbor, new neighbor had my cell phone number. And they really weren't that bad. And it wasn't even after 10 o'clock. Like the cops just kind of showed up. They called me and the cops basically just said like, Hey, keep it down. And like, whatever. So I didn't think anything of it. Cause the cops were like, they called me and they basically like, Hey, it wasn't anything too crazy. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, and then they went inside and you know, the, the noise level at the place. Cause I have a big, like covered open porch that like you put poker on. It's got like two big ceiling fans, like nice lights. Like it's a, you know, but, but if you're out there with 10 or 20 people, which it'll easily hold, uh, it doesn't take much to be loud when you've got neighbors also outside. Um, and so anyway, I was like, ah, okay, the police said it was nothing. So whatever. Now <laughs> go back the next morning and it, and it looked like someone got tar and feathered in my house. There were black boa feathers all over the place and like bong, there's a bong left in the house and like just, you know, and like whatever. And I was like, dear Lord, like I know you're not supposed to have, cameras in the house but sometimes it would be convenient to know what happened absolutely didn't you have a guy dave who like came in a day early and started making waffles in your airbnb pancakes yeah <laughs> yeah yeah john that was when i was house hacking bedrooms john texted me and was like i thought we didn't have a guest i was like yeah we don't have anyone till tomorrow he's like there's a dude in the kitchen making pancakes and i was like huh and sure enough like 
this dude. And then, and then of course he leaves a, re- he went to leave a review and the review was like, um, you know, obviously like one or two stars. And it was like, you know, bedroom, like, like house wasn't even clean. Bedroom wasn't like bed wasn't made, you know? And I'm like, I, I, I left a response and was like, your check-in was Wednesday. You showed up on Tuesday. The previous guest hadn't even checked out yet. Um, yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but the problem, you know, it was just like, I was still running it out of like my house at the time. And so I just had like a key code on like the garage and it wasn't like one that automated, you know, changed because it was just whatever. And yeah, so this dude booked and then showed up like 20 minutes later. I don't know what he was doing. He's like making pancakes. I was like, what the heck? I'm in, I'm like working out on my skiff and he jumped my, my roommate calls the skiff. And he's like, bro. I was like, uh, yes, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, but my, uh, uh, yeah, all kinds of, but the one that's got me still like baffled that I wish I knew the answers to is, I mean, I've got a bunch of like odd ones, but like the weirdest one, the, I mean, I had the one with like the lady, like just who was like a terrible, that like left me a voicemail that I've had content about. That's just hilarious. But there was one here and eh, you know, offline, we <laughs> go into way more details about the three really bad Springfield guests that I've had, but, but this one, like I'm just baffled. So, okay. So I'll paint the picture for you, right? It was another kind of like noise complaint, but the neighbor called me. They didn't really like complain. And I just texted the guest. and was like, Hey, you guys gotta keep it down. Like no big deal. And then the neighbor texts me. He's like, you know, hey, there's a lot of cars. I'm like, all right, whatever. Maybe they're throwing a party, but it wasn't too bad. And so I text him. I'm like, no, nah, man, we're, you know, whatever. I'm like, okay, cool. Noise dies down. No big deal. That's a big house, two car garage. So they leave. And like the house itself is clean, but it smells like engine degreaser, like just straight reeks of like paint thinner degreaser and I'm like, like a meth lab. Like I'm just imagine like something like, I'm just like, what in the world? But it was like a two day stay. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And then on the back porch is an oil pan with an oil filter in it. And like not really used oil, but like something. And I'm like, well, that's weird. And in the garage is another oil filter and like an oil pan and then like a can of like brake cleaner and like engine degreaser and like, and I'm like, okay, like, it's not like they were cooking meth. It's definitely like vehicle related crap. All right. Well, this is weird. So there was something else that went down and they like, they took all of the Tide Pods and dish like detergent, like anything they were local. and, And you're supposed to like request to stay if you're a local guest and not just like book for this reason, but they took all the things that you could just reuse, like all the detergents and, you know, cleaning supplies and toilet paper and paper towels, like any of that stuff they took with them when they left. Cause I just restocked and it was all gone. Um, my box of like, you know, the little individually wrapped bars of soap, all gone, all my K cups, K Keurig K cups, all gone. Like, you know, all the stuff's gone. I'm like, okay, they cleaned me out of house and home. Cool. All weird. All of this is weird. But then I talked to my neighbor. And my neighbor's like, bro, I don't know what was going on over there this weekend. But when I told you about cars, he's like, it wasn't cars. It was 
three trucks with full-sized like race car trailers and they rolled cars into your garage and all I can think is that these motherfuckers rented my Airbnb and ran a fucking chop shop operation out of my Airbnb and rolled out. Like somebody came in with stolen cars and just like tore them down and pulled out. And I'm just like, I don't know. Like someone probably lost their Ferrari at my house. That's wild. That's just yeah. And they took all your stuff and they didn't even make pancakes. So it's like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I have no idea. So yeah, some weird, weird stuff, you know, but then if you think, man, so, okay. So, all right. So how did you get into assisted living? Like, where's the, are you, are you done short term? Like, what's the, is it just like a new venture? Like, what was the, where'd your eyes open to this? I mean, this isn't something that a lot of Yeah. Great are. question. Um, that was a, a good tangent that you had. I, I enjoyed that. Um, you know, and if they, they don't want to come steal cars at our property, but, uh, anyways, yeah. So, <laughs> assisted living. <laughs> Yeah, dude, a shameless plug, honestly, again, for the war room, absolutely incredible. And I guess it's not shameless since you're the one that created it, but it's been incredible from a networking perspective. We, we can be shameless. Yeah, all <laughs> yeah absolutely. Um, but I, Charlie Cameron and I have been partners on multiple short-term rental deals, and we've started the assisted living. Uh, my other partner, Luke, is in the um, squad with me. So every Tuesday night, we start, uh, we have those meetings and we, we talk about what we're working on. And then, of course, the hot seat. One hot seat, Luke came on and he was like, hey guys, I think I'm going to buy an assisted living home. And, and that was really it. And then he explained his reasoning behind that. And then I think two weeks later, he's like, yeah, so I'm under contract on an assisted living home. And this is probably late 2021, maybe early 2022. And he explained the process behind it and, and him and I offline talked a lot about it. And then we decided, hey, we'd probably be a good fit. And so we started talking more and more about assisted living homes. And I really dove deep into some podcasts. I think Bigger Pockets had uh, Isabella um, Garino. I might be saying the name wrong, but they have the Residential Assisted Living Academy and some resources there. Her late father started. And um, so learned a lot through that and through some other podcasts and just dove into it. Uh, is it going to be a pivot uh, for us? Yeah, I think we're going to focus largely on assisted living homes, really for that passivity piece, for the cash flow piece, and for the opportunity in the future to maybe own the operations as well. Short-term rentals, we're still looking for unique short-term rentals. I think it's really hard right now to succeed in the short-term rental space unless you have a really unique property or you know a, a fantastic view. Everyone wanted to get into the Airbnb market, short-term rental market. And so there's just so much saturation in a lot of areas that you just need to stand out. There's some ways to do that. Certainly, you know, having uh, great photos and excellent furnishing is helpful, but uh, they're really pushing this unique stay, unique experience, Instagrammable experience. And so I think from a short-term rental perspective, we will continue investing in that, but it needs to meet that criteria. Main focus for me, honestly, kind of the one thing for me right now is going to be assisted living. And that makes sense. Uh, and it also makes me realize I need to revamp some of my photos for my Airbnb because I'm thinking like, man, the one out the back porch uh, doesn't really showcase like my nice little field that I, so the the backyard is a flood zone and so they can't build. Um, so while I'm like in a really nice neighborhood in the middle of like the Southeast corner of town, uh, there's a full probably five to 10 acre plot just can't be
be built on a nice grass field that we get like deer and turkey and whatever with a view right out the back porch. Um, and I am realizing like, yeah, I have a nice view out the back, but it, the focus is the porch and I should take the exact same picture and reframe the focus to be the porch blurred and the view. Yeah, absolutely. That'll help just get you more bookings for sure. Yeah. Zoom in. There you go. Yeah. Photo, Photoshop one in. Cross, put, put like crosshair. <laughs> yeah. On the Only use that for hunting season. You could hunt out the back <laughs> window. There you go. Hey, I'd book it. Yeah, except rifle season here is only like oh, a man. Yeah, Colorado has got weird hunting stipulations. Yeah, for us, it was like two weeks for deer season. For rifle, you got to put in for a tag. It's really competitive. Yeah, way different than Virginia. It's like months and anyone can get a license. So, yeah, definitely, definitely different from that perspective. Yeah, it's a whole weird game for sure. But yeah, oh well. I mean, you just, you just have a 14-year-old who doesn't know what he's doing and then you're like, oops. <laughs> Yeah, not really. Never happened. Forward, son. Yeah. yeah. No. 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 All right. Uh, if somebody wanted to get into residential assisted living, like you mentioned, the residential assisted living academy, but like, what kind of resources are out there, or what would you like when you first started getting into this? What, like, how did how did you research this? What would you recommend to someone trying to research this right now? No, that's a great question. There's really not a whole lot of resources available, uh, to be completely honest. I mean, there's the Residential Assisted Living Academy. It, you know, to be frank, it's pretty expensive and semi-basic if you have real estate investing experience. I did pay for their course and it was helpful to some degree. But um, I think if you have that real estate investing experience, maybe not necessarily worth it. Uh, you know, I, I'm trying to provide some education as much as possible for folks that do think it's an incredible opportunity in real estate. Um, those are the big things. I spend a lot of time just searching through podcasts and Apple and like typing in residential assisted living and seeing what came up and then listening to those podcasts and kind of piece together as much information as I could from that. And then certainly, you know, having a kind of medical field experience can be helpful at understanding how these things operate and who makes uh, good clients and good residents for these homes was helpful as well. But yeah, honestly, there's not a lot of great resources available for residential assisted living homes. Yeah. It, 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 it's not something that I had even really heard about until at least not on this scale, right? Like the, the big facilities. Okay. But the, the first time I even heard about it at this scale was essentially uh, another war room guy, Travis, when he asked me to go walk a property for him to see if it seemed decent here locally. Um, but I didn't know anything about how the, you know, everything panned out. Uh, and at the time it was like, eh, you know, but hindsight being 2020 now, I'm like, Ooh, man, I should have jumped on that property. Cause uh, you know, at the time, it was like, eh, these prices, me, maybe, eh, you know, mm. it was kind of like a detached duplex with like, eh, maybe this, maybe that. But like, now that part of town is, man, even if he hadn't done residential assisted living, he'd probably be double up on that house right now. But, you know, who knew what the market was going to do? Yeah, for sure. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, Travis is a great guy. We've hopped on a couple calls and talked about some assisted living opportunities together. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's it's a unique 
asset class for sure. I don't think it's for everyone and it, it is definitely harder than I've made it sound. Uh, but the opportunities are, are really there. And, you know, it was interesting. I, I went to a bigger pockets meetup in Denver a couple months back and, um, ended up talking to, to David Green for probably 20 or 30 minutes. And it was funny because really I just straight up asked him, I said, Hey David, how much do you hate events like this? Cause we all know that listen to it. He's, he's an introvert. He doesn't like those, you know, big, uh, get togethers or meetups and talking to a ton of people. And, uh, he's like, honestly, it's not my, you know, necessarily my favorite thing, but it's still a great opportunity. We ended up talking about some other medical stuff and all kinds of different things. We probably get 15 minutes, 20 minutes into the conversation. He's like, Hey man, do you have any, uh, real estate questions for me? And I was like, not really. I'm just happy to chat with you. And, uh, he gave me a big high five. And then he's like, well, what are you working on? And so we talked about residential assisted living, and David Green said, uh, you know, that's an incredible asset class, but just so hard to get into. And part of me was really happy to hear that because we all know the bigger pockets effect that happens with these, you know, different locations that get mentioned, different uh, types of asset class that gets mentioned. And he's not wrong, but the opportunities there, if you just put forth the time and the effort, uh, that I think there's so much untapped potential. It was encouraging for me to hear David Green say, hey, you know, this is difficult to get into. Um, but a lot of potential. And so I, I think that really kind of sums it up well. If you're willing to put forth the time to find a realtor who specializes in these residential assisted living homes, is able to help you find operators, bring in operators to interview, and you can find these deals that are licensable, it's it's certainly possible. And the opportunities and the cash flow is incredible, even if you just lease that out. We haven't really talked on the operating piece, but you can, you know, you can expect an incredible amount of cash flow if you're willing to own the operation business as well. I mean, these transitional homes are doing $60,000 a month roughly for the operators and their expenses are are minimal minus the lease, their transportation to the clinic and maybe some food here and there, but they're pocketing probably, you know, over half of that $60,000 that they're pocketing on these homes. So that's kind of next for us is figuring out, hey, how can we also own the operation as well while you know, also not constraining our time as much because it's it's like you've said before, Dave. It's it's your return on time is so important. My family is so important for to me, and spending time with them, quality time with them, is so important. That's why I work so hard for real estate for the opportunities in the future that that will afford for me to spend more time with my family going forward. So, anyways, long rant there, but uh, but yeah, it's 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 great. We love it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of complexities that go into the op side that were not aware of but i mean there's like you said at 60 grand a month there's a lot of wiggle room for complexities for sure so um to you know not pivot at all and stay completely in the exact same conversation uh before we started recording we'd mentioned that we wanted to one of the things we'd like to touch on at some point was mental health which is you know actually not as big of a pivot as I'm making it sound when we're touching on transitions, transition homes and assisted livings. I'm sure the transition home side has a lot to do with mental health, but so there's, you know, it's all kind of medical stuff, right? It's not a huge pivot, but anyway, I'll just shut up and stop rambling, but I know, I know that was something you wanted to touch on. So I figure I'll throw it in there. Make sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think with these homes going back to kind of work your transition a little more. We're trying to provide A-class homes, awesome opportunities for these people to transition uh, back into society and, and, you know, form 
relationships, get great jobs and great opportunities to impact their community for a positive impact in the future. Um, mental health, yeah. I mean, as you said, family medicine, physician in the Air Force, I, I see a lot of patients with anxiety, depression, PTSD all the time. And honestly, I don't think a, a clinic a half day or day has gone by, haven't seen someone for anxiety, depression, or started them on an anxiety or antidepressant medication. And, you know, I think that stigma still exists in the military. I think it's improving, but there's still a long way to go. And, and a lot of times I have patients, especially male patients, to be honest, that come to me and they're like, hey, this is this was really hard. Yeah, exactly. This is really hard to just book this appointment and be willing to bring this up in any capacity with you. And so I think as providers, I always try and do my best of like, hey, I know this is a really difficult discussion and I really appreciate you coming to me and trusting me enough to talk about this because it's so important. And, you know, we've we've all heard of 22 Intel Non and unfortunately at Shriver where I'm stationed, we just had a suicide a few weeks back of a security forces officer this has touched everyone and will continue to touch everyone. And I think we just have to have the courage both as patients to talk to our providers about this and as providers to be as accommodating and opening or open as possible to have this conversation. So that's something I've been really thinking about lately. And we've seen a huge spike with COVID. We all know the impact of loneliness and isolation on mental health. And like I said, now today has gone by that I haven't started someone on an antidepressant or anti-anxiety medication. But I'll tell you what, other than side effects, I've never had a patient come back to me and say, this was a bad decision or I wish I didn't come talk to you. All of them have been like, man, I wish I came and talked to you a couple of years sooner. I wish I started this medication sooner. This has been a huge game changer for me. And so I think it's just something for the community to think about. You know, If you're struggling with anxiety, you're struggling with uh, depression, you're struggling with mental health in general. I, I'm a PCM. Everyone's got a PCM. Come talk to them. Come find them. There's tons of different ways that we can help you. And and we're here for you. I mean, gosh, I, I do anything for, for my patients and, and I hope they know that. And I always tell them, if you have any thoughts hurting yourself, hurting anybody else, go to the ER, come find me. And I genuinely mean that. Come, come find me and I'd be more than happy to do anything I can. So uh, again, just, just make the appointment, have the willingness to talk. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. You know, and I don't, I don't know that you and I have uh, talked about this, really. I don't know that I've mentioned it publicly much uh, for, um, I would say, somewhat obvious reasons. But um, just to maybe bring some of that home. Uh, well, for one, you know, when we were in Keystone, uh I got a phone call while we were hanging out of that Airbnb that one of the guys I had deployed with uh, played the old suicide by cop game uh, that very uh, weekend, uh, not very far from where we had been at. So, uh, you know, it's it's definitely a a very realistic uh, thing. Um, not the first person that I had deployed with in that platoon who is no longer with us, unfortunately, uh, for, you know, at their own personal reasons, uh, decisions. And, but, you know, uh, I think, I mean, I think part of it's like the messaging in the military. And I don't mean like the macho, Oh, nothing's wrong. You can't go talk to, um, but I don't even know that 
people realize all the time an act like an actual PTSD symptom or depression or whatever until it's way further down the road than it could have. Because like the military, you know, when I think back through all the years that I was in the military, what I always sat through was were presentations and conversations that were like, Hey, don't beat your wife. Don't drink and drive. Uh, don't, don't hurt yourself. Uh, if you think you're going to hurt yourself, you know, talk to someone. Hey, if you see someone giving away all their stuff or, you know, like those were the conversations, right? Like if they're beating their wife or whatever, like that was, that was the signs for PTSD. Uh, cool. I didn't beat my wife. I didn't get a DUI. I didn't give away all my crap and I didn't want to kill myself. I don't have PTSD. And I got out of the Marine Corps. And like, I got blown up in 2010. I drove over an ID. It wasn't anything too crazy, but you know, it's whatever. And, uh, get out of the Marine Corps and transition happens. And I have no idea, no identity. You know, you go through all that stuff. And even though I had a really strong community that I'd built and financial freedom and all this stuff, and I think I'm going to be good, man, like we won't go too far in the weeds on all this, but like a lot of stuff all happened at once. Uh, you know, I ran a half iron in August, was 215 pounds. Started training for a full iron, and so I'm doing 12 to 15 hours a week cardio, and I went from 215 to 245 in four months while doing 12 to 15 hours a week of cardio and not much changing on my diet. Not sleeping, don't feel like a man anymore, like something is not right. So I go and I get checked. My test is like 170, 165, 162, something like that, and I'm like, well, this is off. So I start doing all this research, and I find like a Joe Rogan podcast and another one, and another one. And I start doing like more and more and more homework, and I just go down this freaking rabbit hole. And then there's like, <clears throat> now I find all this stuff. It's like, oh yeah, hey, if you had a TBI, uh, that can be linked to PTSD, which, okay, cool, whatever. But like, then there's all these other symptoms of things that like, you go down this rabbit hole, and it's like, well, PTSD can be this, or it 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 can manifest like this. And like, it wasn't until I sat down with the therapist and or a counselor or whoever you want to talk to. And the person was able to say, you know, cause we go, we get all those questionnaires in the military. It wasn't until I sat down with someone who was able to sit instead of just a question and answer thing. And you say, yes, no one through five, whatever on your own. And they go, here's the question before you answer it. This is what that would look like or feel like in a normal like day daily setting and i go oh shit yeah every fucking day <laughs> like and it was just like holy shit uh and like a perfect example i had like a freaking borderline meltdown like two days ago uh we show up at my my kid at his first baseball like code kitch kid pitch baseball game uh on monday and just a really poorly run event right you show up and it's like this we don't need to go into all the details but basically it was just a terribly run event they started 20 minutes early so i like made it just as they were starting and like the way that it was set up it was like there wasn't seating it was like the you it, you had to have brought a chair but we didn't know that so we didn't bring a chair and then like there was nowhere to no way to get on like the sidelines so you had to like stand and basically on the other side of the outfield and then because my wife had gotten there just a little bit early, she was over like helping coach. So I'm standing in the outfield and like, I'm not from this 
part of the like the state you know so like i don't i didn't go to school with any of these parents and so like jackson's still young enough i haven't met all of the kids parents so i don't know any of the parents on the team yet so i find myself like standing in the outfield like the other side of the outfield surrounded by probably 50 to 100 parents and kids and i don't know a single person and you know my wife's like the other side of the baseball field and i'm at my kids like first kid pitch game and it was like the weirdest like most like isolated just like i'm completely alone like feeling uh and like all that to say um i just felt like i should throw all that out to just drive home like i'm in a lot of people's eyes quote successful and uh fucking dealing with a lot of that stuff sometimes you know and it's like and i told my wife i was like she got done she's like what's wrong i was like i just had some really dark thoughts and they scared me and i was like and i'm i'm totally fine like nothing's gonna happen but i was like it's really weird i have a really 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 big strong network full of people that love me and not a single one of them is here and I just wanted to be next to someone and I felt like utterly alone <laughs> and uh it's just yeah anyway so all that being said like man it's a it's a weird beast because you like you're like oh like for like 10 years I was like I don't drink and drive and I don't beat my wife I'm good and then I get out of the military and it was like I just crumbled for like six months I was, I was a wreck uh but I went and talked to someone and started getting some you know I got I got on TRT which helped me feel like a fucking man again <laughs> and then uh and then I, I started talking to a therapist and just understanding what some of those triggers were for why, like, like, why am I so upset? I just, like, I just need to get out and hang out with a friend. Like, that's it. That's all I need to do. And life's, uh, life's much better. Yeah, Dave, thanks for sharing that. that. I mean, that takes a lot of courage uh, to share that with the community. And yeah, you hit, you hit on a, a big piece that I think goes sometimes unnoticed. And that's that isolation piece, that loneliness piece gosh, if that's you and you're listening to this, just, yeah, reach out to a friend, reach out to your provider, reach out to whoever you have to, surround yourself with people who are going to love you, support you, and be there for you. And that's going to be a game changer. And gosh, I mean, that's hard to do in that situation. And I think you hit on a huge point that's so important. Like, this is not something that anyone's immune to based off their uh, social status or net worth or occupation. We all suffer with this. It's part of human nature. Uh, you know, and I, I've struggled with anxiety, you know, and, and I'm a, a physician. And so we, we all deal with this. It's just how we handle those emotions. And also knowing there's people there who really do care for you. Contrary to what you believe, your brain, your mind's going to tell you you're alone, you're isolated, nobody cares for you, all these dark thoughts. You got to train your brain to realize that's not necessarily true. There are people here who care for me. There are people here uh, who would be devastated if I were not here anymore. And so, uh, you know, I think that's really the piece to focus on. And uh, gosh, man, thanks for sharing that. That was powerful. Well, hopefully it helps somebody. It's all about. Yep. So on that super happy note, <laughs> what, uh, what did we miss? Anything, anything else we should cover before we wrap up? Yeah, no, I think, uh, I think that was great. I hope you had as much fun as I did and just appreciate being on here. Appreciate, you know, any conversation with you. Dude, it's always a good time to talk. We're going to chat tomorrow or whenever about 
you starting a podcast and where can people get hold of you if they want to learn more when they want to learn more hey yeah that's awesome i appreciate it uh yeah you can find me on uh, facebook alex slow uh instagram hlo3 or physicians and properties uh, I am kind of trying to build out a community for physician real estate investors to learn the power of real estate and how that can provide the freedom to practice medicine how you want and live life how you want. So working on that, that's what we were talking about from a podcast piece, uh, physiciansandproperties.com on there. There's a free short-term rental furnishing guide on physiciansandproperties.com anyone can grab. So feel free to, to get that if you're interested in furnishing a short-term rental, it could be a helpful resource for you. Um, but yeah, happy to chat about you know, anything. So don't hesitate to reach out to me, DM me, whatever you got to do. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely go grab that rental, uh, the short-term rental furnishing guide. Anything Alex puts out is going to be good. Oh, thanks, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> Always a pleasure getting to hang out and chat with you. So you too, brother. Thank you. Absolutely. Appreciate the opportunity. Of course. Of course. And uh, look forward to the next time we get to hang out. Absolutely, man. Hopefully soon. Maybe a missile silo again. We'll see. That uh, I hear the rumblings that that might just happen. I don't know. You'll find out. Awesome. Looking forward to it. I'll be there. Yeah. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from militarymillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.